welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Well, as Tony mentioned, we are on the second part of a series called Rebels, Riots and Revolutionaries, in which we are actually going through and doing an outline of the book of Acts. We're not doing it verse by verse. We're not doing an in-depth exegesis of this. We're not going to go into every Greek word and its meaning. We're really just wanting to skim across and grab some of the highlights that can help us today with regards to our walk in this day and generation. It's not a history lesson. This is not ancient history that we're looking at here, although it's, it's set in history. But it's actually very real and very practical lessons that we can learn and bring into our lives, very real promises that these guys laid hold of that we can embrace for ourselves in order that we can live lives that are, that are world-changing. Okay, and actually, um, Tone kicked off this morning, and I would strongly encourage, if you uh, have not got the first part, or sorry, if you weren't here this morning, I would strongly encourage you to get onto the internet and to grab that, download it, have a listen to it, because it really is going to set up this series well. This morning, he looked at the fact that we need to wait before we work, don't just rush off, but wait and be prepared before we do the things that God's calling us to do. We need to keep the main thing, the main thing. We need to remember that Jesus, as he went up, he will also return. And finally, he just looked at the fact that everything rises or falls on leadership. And so I would strongly encourage you to grab hold of that message, have a listen to it. Uh, and, and I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought then. But um, tonight, I want to pick up from Acts chapter 2. And I've entitled this message tonight, as part of our Rebels, Riots and Revolutionary series, From Wimps to World Changes. From Wimps to World Changes. And I'll explain a little bit about why I've entitled it that in just a moment. Before I do that, I'd love to read to you some parts of Acts chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles there, or your iPhones, or iPads, or anything else that can bring up some words on a screen... I suggest you turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and follow along with me. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all of these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them speaking in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia... Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all Sorry, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And he goes on to go through that prophecy. 
He then goes on and talks about and links it with Jesus' crucifixion and the resurrection with Old Testament prophecy. And we're picking up in verse 36, and Peter continues by saying, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, Lord, uh, of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I think there's probably an encouragement or two in there to be baptized if you haven't already been baptized. As a believer, by full immersion, I would encourage you next Sunday night to be going through the waters of baptism. But getting back to my message, I've entitled it from wimps to world changers. And as I, in my, in my mind, when I was thinking about that title, I had in mind a specific person. That person was Peter, the man who got up and preached in front of this crowd. And I know it's probably a little bit of a harsh uh, term to use for him. Um, you know, he was a man under pressure. But I was thinking about the time when, um, just before Jesus was arrested and before he was crucified, um, and, and he was beginning to, to prepare his disciples for his leaving. And Peter um, has made a bold statement. Lord, I'm willing to go to prison with you. I'm willing to die with you. It, it doesn't really matter about these other guys, but, but me, I'm in. You can count on me, Jesus. Nothing can separate me from you. Nothing can cause me to drop the ball. I'm absolutely in boots and all. You can count on me, Jesus. That's the sort of conviction with which he is speaking. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, you've been denied me three times. And Peter's just like, no way, Lord, not me. I mean, maybe Thomas, definitely Judas, but not me. <laughs> and yet, you know the story. And the moment, after Jesus' arrest, the moment Peter is confronted by a slave girl of all people. Weren't you with Jesus? Don't you know that man? No, I've never met him in my life. Not just, I don't believe he's the Messiah. Not just, I don't agree with his teachings, but I've never met the man. I don't know him. Complete and utter denial. It's wimpish behaviour, isn't it? Yeah. Sort of, if you only put it as... But when you look at our lives... We're in good company. Well, Peter's in good company. Because I don't think any of us would have done any better than he would have. He's not alone. The reality is that every one of us, as followers of Jesus, is unable to live up to our best intentions. Every one of us have made bold claims. Every one of us have prayed wonderful prayers. Every one of us have given ourselves over to God and said some stuff that we're going to do or stuff that we're not going to do. And usually in less than 24 hours, we've blown it. Who can... Anyone relate to that? I know I can. The fact is that well-intentioned believing is not enough to carry us through the challenges of this life and and to enable us to fulfill this great commission that Jesus has called us to. Jesus knew that. And that's why we heard Tony say this morning that the disciples were called to wait in Jerusalem until they'd received the gift from the Father of the Holy Spirit, until they were empowered from on high. 
Jesus, you know, previously had spoken to the disciples and he's actually said words like, it's for your good that I go. In other words, as much as you'd love me to stay here, as cool and awesome as this is, it's actually for your good that I go back to, the heaven, back to heaven in order that I can send the Holy Spirit. He's with you now, but he will be in you. And so we're seeing the beginning to the unfolding of this promise. And so as I've said, I'm not here really just to give a history lesson today, but it'll help us to recognise both the need for this empowering and the availability of it for us today in our lives. This is not just something that we can look back on history and say, oh, wasn't that nice for them? Because life was so much tougher back then. The challenge was so much greater. I don't know about you, but I find life pretty tough. I think the challenge that we have as a church is fairly great. I think just as there were immoral, debauched people out there, just as there were people believing false things, and I think there's just as, that, as much of that today. So if they needed a leg up back then, I think we do today. And it makes total sense to me to believe that this Holy Spirit, who Peter said, is available to all who will believe, to you, your children, and all who are far off, all who believe and call on the name of Lord Jesus. We need it. <laughs> who of us hasn't come to the end of ourselves? Who of us hasn't succumbed to fear? Who of us hasn't been silenced by fear or acted with impulsive stupidity? In our own wisdom, we all need this gift from God that Jesus said to wait for, that Jesus said it's better that he goes for, this person of the Holy Spirit dwelling powerfully in our lives. So just by way of a, a couple of um, introductory comments, you know, we read a few terms there, if you, and also this morning, that Jesus spoke about the gift of the Father. He spoke about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, it talks about being filled with the Spirit. And these terms are all used interchangeably. Okay, so it all means the same thing. Okay, it's all referring to the same event. The second thing I want to point out before we really get into a few things that can help us receive is that while the baptism in the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit is not, uh, sorry, is available to all, it's not automatic. It doesn't just happen by virtue of the fact you're a Christian. In the same way that baptism in water doesn't just happen by virtue of the fact you're a Christian. There's our part to play. I love the, the illustration of you know, being born again. It's, it's a, being born naturally is a process. And so too being born again is a process. Some natural births are very quick and very easy and, and there's no dramas. And I think that would be representative of a Christian who hears the message, they believe it, they acknowledge their sin, they repent, they say, what can I, what do I, where's some water I want to get baptised? And they get baptised and they get prayed for, they laid hands and they get filled with the Holy Spirit almost Immediately. That's awesome. That's like one of those one hour births that just, when there's minimal pain and just things happen very quickly, there's no complications. But you know, the, the, the longer the birth process goes and the more complications there are, the more problematic it is. And I think many Christians have that kind of birthing experience when it comes to their Christianity. They start by believing, but they don't necessarily repent of their sins. They think they're good enough. They, they're glad that Jesus came and they like what goes on in the church. But they don't necessarily own their sin. And so repentance might take a little bit. It's like that, it's like, you know, that contracted process of a natural birth. And so then they finally come to the point they need a saviour and they truly repent and accept Jesus as their Lord and their saviour. But then they um and are about, will I get baptised, won't I get baptised? And, and that could be possibly years between becoming a Christian. And like I said, I, I think that, you know, there's grace for that. People experience that and people go on to live fulfilling Christian lives but I just think 
you know, the, like in, with a natural birth, the longer it takes, the more complicated it is, the more pain involved. And I think so too for us as believers, the longer we hang out of, hang back from being obedient to God's will and pressing in for all that he has for us, I think it gets confusing for ourselves. It gets confusing for those that are looking on. It, makes a, it, it kind of muddles up scripture a little bit because when you say, I'm dead to the old life, and then you know, two years later you get baptized, which symbolizes death, it all just gets messy. So I'm just saying, wherever you are at, let's just press in. If you're not baptized, be baptized. If you're not been filled with the Holy Spirit, I'll unpack it in a minute. Press in. Don't, don't sort of say, well, you know, by the end of my life, I'll hopefully have got a little bit more understanding about what God has for me. But no, press in now. All right. So just a couple of things. Because like I said, it's, it's, it's not automatic. And the fact that it's not, not automatic, I think, has made it problematic in terms of church history. And even today, you know, many people, um, the whole issue of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the whole theology, a subject of that, um, for some is a, is a massive point of tension. You know, you've got some that, that make claims about you have to be, and if you don't speak in tongues, you're not going to heaven. You've got others who say, well, that was for way back then. It doesn't apply to us today. You've got others who are saying, oh, you're saying you're better than me. There's all this sort of stuff that goes on in, in the church. And I don't think it should be like that. I don't think it's that complicated if we go back to Scripture. And we put aside our, our fears because some people say, oh, what if, I, what if I sound silly when I speak in tongues? Or what if I swear in another language? There's, there's all sorts of nonsense that holds people out of the promises of God. I've heard them all. I have. People have actually, they've been the things that people have been worried about when I've been talking to them about this sort of thing. Okay, so I want to have a look at firstly, just preparation for empowerment. Because every one of us, I think we've already agreed, we need empowering. Our good intentions to serve Jesus, to be better people, etc., are not enough. <laughs> so Jesus has rightly presupposed our need for empowerment. And like I said, many minimise it. But we need to ask, do we have a lesser role to play? I think I've covered that already. But what did, what did Jesus' disciples do? The first thing they did is after Jesus said to them, wait, we read that they met together daily and they devoted themselves to prayer. They all joined together constantly in prayer, in fact. In fact, they were just doing what Jesus had said to do. Jesus had said many times before, you know, the whole ask, seek, knock thing. Ask and you'll receive. Knock and the door will be opened. You seek and you'll find. In Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 9 to 30, it talks about that. But the context there, or sorry, he specifically says it's about the Holy Spirit. You know, if you, if, if you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more is our heavenly Father going to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And so I believe that the disciples understood that. And so they're asking, God, this gift, we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what it's going to sound like. We've really got no clue. But Lord, you said to ask and to ask our heavenly Father who is good for this good gift of the Holy Spirit. So here we are. We're just waiting. We just want it, God. And I think that's an awesome attitude to adopt. I think every one of us, if we, we will adopt that attitude, every one of us can experience this gift. Like I said, it's for all. It's just not automatic. All right, the second thing, I just on that ask and receive, the, 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 the other side of the coin, I guess, is that James says that you often don't have because you don't ask. And so maybe that's one of the roadblocks in your life. Have you ever actually asked for the Holy Spirit to come into your life? Like I said, many people are ignorant. They wouldn't, they've never read the Bible, or they've read little bits of the Bible that are selective, and they don't even know that there's a Holy Spirit in the Bible, <laughs> never mind the fact that he can empower them. So this is the first thing. We need to ask. Secondly, we need to be patient. Jesus said, wait until. 
Wait until, and it was certainly days, if not a week or possibly weeks before, between when he said that and when they actually received, when the Holy Spirit actually came upon them. I mean, imagine if they'd have jumped the gun. I mean, here they are, about 120 disciples of Jesus with the world to win, left to their own devices. What do you think they would have done? Imagine if they hadn't waited for the Holy Spirit. Ah... Peter, you're a fisherman. You're used to mending nets. You could probably make really good doilies. <laughs> no, sorry. We could have a fight. We could, we could raise some money that way to send uh, you know, Barnabas here and Thomas there. and you know, That's the way we can do it. That's not the way they had to do it. Maybe we could have a Bible school. You know, they would have just got into all sorts of Christianese sort of things, doings, rather than just actually waiting on God for his plan. And for his purposes to be fulfilled. So we, we need to wait. And sometimes, well, often, the waiting is longer than we actually want. But as we know, for those of us that know anything about the Bible, that delay is not usually denial. It's just delay. God is doing something in the waiting. He's, cre- he's increasing our hunger. He's making us more desperate. He's preparing us. He's, he's, he's preparing us so we can hold on to that which he gives us. There's a whole bunch of reasons why God delays but ultimately, we just need to hang in there and be patient until God does what he says he's going to do. When we're waiting, we need to just strengthen ourselves through the promises. Did Jesus really say? Yes, Jesus did say. Keep praying. A couple of days later, did Jesus really say? Yes, Jesus did say. Keep praying. A couple of days later, are you sure, Jesus? Yep, no, we're all there. He definitely said, okay, we'll keep praying. And yet so often, we don't do that. We don't just go back to the Word and go say, what did God say? We go, oh, maybe that was for them back there. Maybe there's this reason, or maybe there's that reason, or, or there's a whole bunch of things that we begin, to, you know, we begin to adjust our theology, we begin to lower our expectations and all these things, but things don't happen in our time. But the early church didn't do that. These guys, they just kept pressing in, stirring themselves up in what God said, continued to ask, until one day there was an outpouring. We read in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, as they're all gathered together on the day of Pentecost, that suddenly there's a sound like a rushing wind. Suddenly there's flames of fire appear and separate and appear above the head of each of the believers. And suddenly they begin to break out and speak in other tongues. So what are the signs of empowerment? Well, I don't know. I think, I think there's something unique um, about the, the rushing wind sound and I think there's something unique about the flames. I've certainly never seen that myself. But I think, and we don't even see that as a requirement later on in the book of Acts when we see people being filled with the Holy Spirit, but we do see these peculiar words that came out of their mouths. All of them filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Maybe you're a little more comfortable with languages. They began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. This was not evidence that they made good use of their time over those few weeks, having a crash course in Median and Parthian and Roman or Latin or whatever else, this was a supernatural gift given to them. These guys, I mean, I've done languages at school and I've also been filled with the Holy Spirit and there's no correlation between the French I did and learnt at school or the Chinese I learnt at school or the English I learnt at school and the language that God gave me. 
Okay, it wasn't just like, I'll just see it and mix it all up. It was just like, there was a supernatural something came upon my life and, and enabled me to speak in another language. It wasn't, it wasn't a, something that I had learned or just heard going on around me. Perhaps share a little bit more about that later. But this was a supernatural thing that happened. And I believe, if we read through the book of Acts, we can build a very strong case that every time a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, that there is this evidence of speaking in other languages. Every time we see that Paul was, he was filled. He spoke, in, we, we know that he was a man, he said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. So we know that he was a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit, who spoke in tongues. We see in, the, in Acts chapter 8, that there was something that took place, something supernatural, something observable that took place that caused Simon to want to pay money to be able to do that with people, to give them that gift. We see that um, in Cornelius and his um, family and household in Acts chapter 10, the, the fact that Peter was convinced that God was actually pouring out the Spirit on the Gentiles and was accepting of them was the fact that they received the Holy Spirit just like we did, speaking in other tongues with the evidence they were looking for. And we see again in Acts chapter 19, Paul said, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And you believe he said, we haven't even heard there's a Holy Spirit. And so he laid hands on them, they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. And so my question to you is this, have you ever had that experience? Have you I ever asked God for the Holy Spirit to come into your life and empower you? And if you have, have you experienced that? Because if you haven't, I think just keep waiting, keep asking, keep expecting, keep, keep going back to the Word of God, find out what the promises of God are. Don't give up. Don't change your theology. Go back to the Word of God. Convince yourself and then hang on to God all the more and say, God, you promised and you're not a man that you should lie. The other thing that happens when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, so I absolutely believe that the evidence, I mean, you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit and not know it. That's my point I'm making, essentially. It's not like you go to church, you hear a sermon, or you, and you, go, or you go home and you pray a prayer, and you're exactly the same afterwards. There is, if, that, if that's your experience, just going to church and hearing a nice message and no change in your life, you're possibly not even saved, never mind filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when you have an encounter with Jesus and you, you know that your sins have been forgiven, it does something on the inside. It will change your desires and you'll have higher desires in terms of wanting to please God. You still won't be able to live up to them because you're not empowered yet by the Holy Spirit. So evidence of being empowered by the Holy Spirit is this speaking in other languages. In this particular instance, they were other languages that could be understood by those around about. Other human languages. The Bible talks about tongues of angels, and, and when a man speaks in tongues, he's speaking not to man but to God. So there's, it seems like there's heavenly languages where it's communicating directly to God, but there's also human language that can be understood and heard and interpreted by others. All right, the other thing I think that's a demonstration the fact that the Holy Spirit has generally come into our life and empowered us, or baptized us, filled us, is prophetic praise. And what I mean by that is just spontaneous declarations of God's goodness, his plans, his purposes. And so we see that often that happens. You know, People who don't know theology begin to talk about the fact that Jesus is coming back and he's going to raise the dead and he's going to judge everybody. And you know, There's just a prophetic edge to what they're saying. There's praise that comes. Again, I'm a hopeless singer. I know nothing about music. But man, I can, I've got so many songs that I can sing <laughs> that, are not, that I haven't learned in church. 
I just kind of make them up as I go along when I'm driving my car or in the shower or walking around the house. Usually it's best when the kids aren't home or Sally Ann, but, but even when they are, I still do it sometimes and I'm sure they're embarrassed about it. But you know, when, when you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, there's, there's, a, there's something inside that's wanting to flow out of your life. So that's two Ps. Peculiar tongues, praise or prophetic praise. And my third one is propulsion. I think... Many of us are stagnant. Many of us are stuck as believers. We do our Christian thing, but we're not being effective. We're not getting out there. We're not doing anything. We're not making impact. And I think God has called us to do that. And so for me, and I think scripturally as well, we see, I know scripturally, but there's propulsion, there's movement that comes. We see that these guys went from in the upper room, it may be overstating it to say they were frightened behind locked doors, but it's possible because things were pretty uh, tense. Um, they'd lost their leader. He'd come back to... Uh, but they still didn't know what was next, in a sense. And so they're, they're waiting. They're stationary. The church is going nowhere at that particular time. But the moment the Holy Spirit comes, he mobilizes them. And they get out into the crowd. They begin to preach the gospel, etc., etc. And you will not remain stationary as a believer when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Again, I've, I've talked a li- unpacked a little bit about the theology, but this is my personal experience as well. I mean, we've laughed at my expense and Tone's told some good stories and then I said, well, actually, he probably understated some of the truths about my previous life as a non-Christian. And, I, you know, in my eyes, I was a good enough person and all that sort of thing and probably had, you know, plenty of friends and stuff, but... But the reality is, I did some pretty dumb and some pretty ugly stuff. And even when I, um, God was stirring in my heart, and there were some circumstances sort of coming together that were just sort of hurting me towards God, if you like, I was still resisting, I was still doing my own thing. And I remember, I, 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 many of you have probably heard this, but I remember a key moment was when God arrested me through a friend's salvation. A friend became a Christian. And I was all excited that he'd become a Christian because I was one too, didn't you know? And he goes, really? Out of all the people at uni, I thought you'd be the last person to be a Christian. It's like, whack. And, but it was that combined with some other things that God just put a desperation in me to get to know him. And I was part of a, a Pentecostal church. You know, they believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as we're talking about here. And so I thought, man, I need that. If I'm living amongst these, these friends of mine, they've got no idea I'm a Christian. I need some help here. My good intentions are not enough because I did believe in Jesus and I did ultimately want to represent him well, but I was just clueless and powerless to actually walk out what God was beginning to stir inside of me. And so I just began to cry out and again, it didn't happen overnight. It didn't even happen in a week or month. It was more a period of months that I was just waiting. I was just praying. I was just asking God, fill me. I need your power in my life. I cannot do this alone. And one day, I was just praising God singing in English and suddenly I've got this other language there. Like I said, it wasn't a language, it wasn't you know, a, 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 a throwback to one of my French lessons at school or my Chinese lessons or an English. It was just something totally other was there in my mouth. And it was kind of like, you know, God's indescribable and the human language, any language, is, is so constrictive when it comes to trying to praise someone like God. It's kind of like you get to the end of your own words and suddenly, boom, there's this whole other realm in which your spirit can offer praise to God. And that's what happened for me. And so that was the peculiar tongues, if you like, part of it. 
But accompanied with that was the passion that I spoke of and the prophetic praise. But then there was just a mobilization in my life, a moving on. And uh, everything changed for me at that particular point in time. My, my purpose in life changed. I was still at teacher's college, but my purpose, my sense of direction and destiny took a massive change. The way I treated people. I mean, I, yes, I wasn't um, the wisest in the way that I um, lived out my enthusiasm for God, but I was definitely enthusiastic. I, I definitely can testify to the fact that God will move us. God will propel us forward in his purposes. And yes, you know, beyond that, we need to be around those that can help direct our enthusiasm and so on and so forth. So that's the second thing, that there will be evidence. If you've been coming to church and it's all good and you've got some great friends and you love Jesus, that's awesome. But it doesn't need to stop there because you cannot live the life that God is calling you to live on your own. You need to be empowered by his Holy Spirit. What's the purpose of this empowerment? Well, it's, I guess initially it's personal transformation. And there's, a, there's an adding and a subtraction side of that. Because every, there's stuff that God wants to get out of our lives. He wants to rip sin out of our lives. He wants to help us overcome the bad habits that we've got. He wants us to get beyond our fears. And so there's stuff in our life that needs to go when we become a Christian. And the sooner the Holy Spirit comes into our life in a powerful way and enables us to be able to do that, the better. But on the positive side, he wants us to become more like Jesus. Too many people just get the negative side. It's just like I'm a Christian, I've got to stop drinking, got to stop smoking, got to stop this, got to stop that. Just end up just miserable and drained. But God wants to fill the void. And he wants to fill it with the nature and character of Jesus Christ. He wants us to become more loving. He wants us to become more kind. He wants us to become more patient. He wants us to become more sensitive and aware to the needs of those around about us. He wants us to be a blessing in the world. So part of the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives in order that we might be transformed from the inside out. That's the massive difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is about external rules and regulations trying to constrain us. And it wasn't able to constrain our sinful nature. Our sinful nature keeps busting out of the straight jacket of the law. But the promise in the Old Testament that God would take our heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. He's talking about when the Holy Spirit comes into our life. That's what Peter was, was quoting. And so it's, per, it's about personal transformation, yes. But it's also about persuasive proclamation. God is calling us not just to live this life to and for ourselves, but we are ultimately here on a mission. We are to be his witnesses. That's what Jesus said. You'll be empowered to be my witnesses. And so every one of us has a part to play. Peter got up. Like I said, a man who before had been intimidated and cowered before a servant girl. No, I don't know Jesus. I never heard of the guy. And suddenly he's in front of the crowd that has been party to Jesus' death. And he's accusing them of murder. And his words are coming forth with such power and such authority that they're carrying before him. They're saying, what must we do to be saved? There's a transformation here. 3,000 people, it says, were added to the church in one day because of Peter's Holy Spirit-empowered life and inspired words. We see that the book, as the book of Acts goes on, we see that his, these words are confirmed with signs and with wonders following. All manner of amazing things are happening that are just pointing people, saying, this is true. You can believe it. Even the conviction that people were feeling was a part of, uh, I guess, of the, the power, a part of the, the reality of the Holy Spirit's presence in Peter's life. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to just be ignored. I don't want to just have good arguments or good ideas or sound theology. I want to be speaking words that come laden with conviction, that actually bring about change in people's lives. Now you, 
or I may not get to speak to and convert 3,000 people in one hit, but that doesn't matter. We are here at very last, at very, very least, to be part of winning and changing our world one person at a time. If you've got one person in your sphere of influence, God wants you to minister powerfully into that sphere of influence. If you've got 10 people, same. If you've got 20 people, 30, 100, the same. God wants you to shine brightly for him, not to be like I was. Again, I think you know, my, my, my birth as a Christian, if you like, was difficult. It was, it was painful. It was slow. It was laboured. Like I said, I'd been a Christian probably for four or five years when I heard that. I do believe if I'd have died and gone to heaven, that my confession and, and, and the desire of my heart, that God would have accepted that. But my life was counting that much for him. In fact, it wasn't even counting that much. It was counting less than that much because it actually was a, I was a bad witness. I was probably putting people off because the biggest problem people have with the church is, ah, oh, Christians, bunch of hypocrites. Say one thing, do the other. I'm just as good as them or better. So God's calling us to be his witnesses, not just to speak Christian jargon, not just to quote scriptures, but to be his witnesses, to be powerful, transformed people. Those that knew me saw a change in my life that was undeniable. And that, that change has lasted. And hey, look, I'm not, I'll let you in a secret. You don't become perfect when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't mean that all your problems cease. It just means that you have greater reserves to draw on. I think many Christians, they kind of live New Christian, they live New Testament Christianity, but with Old Testament revelation. Outside, God's, God is gracious. And, you know, we can, we can pray and God hears our prayers and all that sort of stuff. But I don't think God's calling us to live our New Testament Christianity in an Old Testament manner with, with visitations every now and then. God just bailing us out of the hot water we've got ourselves into. But he's calling us to be front-footed, filled with his Holy Spirit, empowered in order that we can be effective for him. This promise was one of the long and long anticipated promises of the Old Testament. This was something that they were looking forward to. The coming of the Messiah, yes. Um, didn't quite understand, obviously, all that Jesus was there to do. But they understood that God was going to do something significant in the hearts of believers and that he was going to do something that was not just for a chosen few. This is significant. It's not just about a priesthood. It's not just about a family line. It's not just about men at the expense of women. It's not about the healthy at the expense of the sick. This is a gift that is available to all. It's not automatic. There are some precursors. I think you know, there's some, we, can be, we can work with God in terms of finding out if what I've said is true. We can work with him by asking. We can work with by allowing him to create a, a hunger in our lives. I think in light of all that Jesus has called to do, called us to do, in light of the challenges that we face every day, in light of the, the massive job that is out there, can we really afford to sit back and say, or hide behind some flimsy theological argument, or the fact that we knew a tongue-speaking Christian once, and they were just a hypocrite, or they were a mongrel, they tried to make me speak in tongues and tell me I, if I don't, I'll go to hell. Or There's all sorts of stuff out there that people hang on to, and really they're just embarrassed, or really just unwilling to give the reins over to God for fear of what might happen. And I just think Jesus is too good for us to hold out on him by doing that. 
He needs us to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order that we can faithfully and more fully represent him. Again, we're in this world, but we're not called to be of it. We're supposed to live differently. We're supposed to shine. We're supposed to stand out. And Tony, if you can come up, we're going to, I just want to pass over to you in a minute, mate. But, uh, but I just want to see in us, every one of us, a hunger for God. And I don't mean, I'm not just preaching, by the way, I'm not speaking today at those who have just never spoken in tongues. Because there are plenty of Christians that have spoken in tongues once, 20 years ago. Or maybe they've even remembered how it sounds and they keep doing it. (laughs) Getting pretty rude now, aren't I? But there should be some evidence of power. Seriously, if we are dried up, if we are shriveled, mean and nasty people and we speak in tongues, it's got to be just we remember what it sounded like. Surely. Because the Holy Spirit's not shriveled up, dry, mean and nasty. The Holy Spirit is God. And so all that Jesus is, the Holy Spirit is. All that the Father is, the Holy Spirit is. And so we see, if we, if we read on, we see that here was a group of 120 disciples and suddenly grew to 3,120. But the initial 120 were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it flowed out. They flowed out into their society. But then we see later on that there's some persecution, there's some trouble they're facing. And it says they got together and they prayed again. And they were filled again. And so our baptism in the Holy Spirit, our, our experience of God in our lives, shouldn't be something that's you know, like a little merit badge that we stick on and say, yeah, I had got that, tick. But this is like an ongoing experience of God. And yes, we should be speaking in tongues. I don't believe even speaking in tongues is just a one-off event that says, yep, you've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Never pray in tongues again. Because like I said, God is too good for the English language. I, the moment I begin to praise Him, or not too there, long thereafter, you do, you run out of words. But my spirit inside is meshing with God's spirit and, and there's something going on that says, God, you're far better than what I can say. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Who of us doesn't get stuck knowing what to pray for? Some things are just too big to know how to pray for. Some things are just too complicated. Some things just we don't know about. And yet Romans 8, 26 talks about the fact that the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. So you and I, you know, our family can be on the, on the brink of disaster. and We might not even know it. But in one of those times, we're just praying, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through us. We can be praying protection. We can be praying blessing. We can be praying God's grace into that situation, protecting them from who knows what. Because of this wonderful gift that God has given us. And it's, like I said, I'm not here to talk about just speaking in tongues per se, but I'm talking about as a people, are we empowered by the Holy Spirit? Do we walk into our workplaces? Do we walk into our families? Do we walk into our everyday lives with a sense of anticipation? God, here I am. I'm your person on the scene for whatever you want to do today. Is the Holy Spirit leading and directing and controlling us and speaking to us about where people are really at? Because if that's not your experience, if you're just same old, same old, day in, day out, can't wait to get to church on Sunday. There's more. Thank you. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.